Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. The end of April as we get set for May. This is actually the, uh, the show that we we really should be prepping for the, the Kentucky Derby the first Saturday in May. But you know what? We're not going to get upset because we got some semblance of sport last week, Mike. We got some feel of reality kind of back um, before all the uh, the virus stuff of the last couple months. And a lot of people were predicting that this year's NFL draft being a totally virtual draft, um, nothing really in person. People were thinking there were going to be a lot of technical glitches and problems and issues. And you know what? I don't know if I've seen anybody that's had like negative things to say at all about this draft. It all went off really smoothly. It didn't feel like it dragged a whole lot. Um, I thought they did a pretty damn good job. I've actually heard a lot of people calling for this is the format of the future. I agree. They want this. Well, and I, I think n- more than 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 being nobody being in a place or nobody being around or anything like that. I think a lot of people are just have realized that the coaches and the the staff of of all of these teams have realized now with the way technology is, they can do a lot more of their work from home. There's no reason why they can't watch that film, interact with each other, do your scouting, do your research from home with the technology, spend a little more time with your family, not have to go to the office all day, every single day. It was refreshing to hear a lot of people that said, you know what, this maybe is going to be something that changes the way this is done going forward. Yeah, I even heard some GM saying this is gives us a better semblance of, you know, uh, work life, family life balance. Yep. And... And I've seen it firsthand. You know, I've seen it where you know they, these guys are in there. You know, before you get into the office, they're they're still in there after you leave. They're getting home well past midnight. Gruden was legendary for for that type of work schedule, getting maybe three to four hours of sleep, never seeing his family. And yeah, they, a lot of these guys came to the realization that we could get a lot of work done from home, be more efficient, save a lot of time cut out all the chit-chat and all the unnecessary conversation and distractions from being at an office. It's kind of a funny revelation. I've actually kind of thought that over over the years myself in that I have the luxury to be able to do things from my home office. Mm-hmm. And then I also go in to do some real estate stuff. And I always find myself getting more done sometimes when I just close the door or lock myself in my office and, and just get to work. I mean, you know, I do the same thing late and, at night. I get all my work done. You know, I yeah, sit there I for a couple a guys, hours, no distractions, yeah. and yeah. And, and see, and, and for see, most of the heavy lifting is done during the course of the college football season, anyways. Mm-hmm. When, when you're talking about scouting. scouting, so they're going, and it's not just about going to the games. They will visit every campus, and typically, one of the most important and influential people in their decision making is the, uh, you know, football team strength coach. That's usually the starting point for a lot of these scouts, and. They'll just uh, probe, pick and probe, and ask because the strength coach a sees a lot about their work ethic, and then and then and if they really really love to work out, if they're fooling around or not, and then they also kind of, for whatever reason, get a lot of the scoop on the guys, whether it be you know off field stuff or stuff with a girlfriend or whatever the case may be. So that's a very important 
like in-person conversation. And then they move on, obviously, to the position coach and, and then the head coach ultimately. And then they move on to another school and maybe it's a smaller school. And they'll ask, hey, it's a small school. Do you have anybody here that could potentially be of NFL talent? And they'll get that information. So they've accumulated all this data, all this information. And the film is all in, uh, you know, online media format where they can watch and highlight and, and edit and do all these different things from home, from an office, from anywhere. So uh, obviously it was, it took something like this for change to happen. And I anticipate that some of these things are going to be permanent. Yeah. We have a, uh, football centric, football heavy loaded show today. We have a couple guests on tap, and I believe we have our first waiting on the line. You want to introduce them? Yeah, well, we have our first guest. We're going to be talking some Cowboys football, Cowboys draft, seeing what Saad Yusuf, who has been on our show many times, talking about all things related to Dallas sports, really. Uh, Saad, good afternoon. How are you, my friend? Hey, Saad. I'm, I'm doing great. How are you? Doing pretty well, man. Uh, and I think the Cowboys have to be feeling pretty good about what they did in uh, in this 2020 draft. Absolutely. I mean, it was, uh, you know, without any bias or anything, I really do think it was probably the best draft class along with maybe, you know, the Ravens and the Cardinals had had really good drafts as well, which, you know, the Ravens always do. But the Cowboys, uh, the Cowboys just seem to have the kind of draft that, you know, you wouldn't expect them to because they have a history of uh, of reaching sometimes, and they've done that, and it's worked. Uh, at, at times, Travis Frederick was a big reach for them. No one, uh, no one expected him to go in the first round when they took him there uh, a, a few years ago. But then, so was Taco Charlton, and so was Tristan Hill in the, in the second round last year. And so, you know, when when Clavon Chason was there at 17 for taking, um, I think everybody in the media, fans, everybody kind of uh, thought that they would take him, and that wouldn't be a bad thing if C.D. Lamb also wasn't on the board, and he was, and the Cowboys stuck to their board and took the best player available, and I think that's what makes for a great draft. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I was looking at my going into the year. You know, as an agent, I get scouting reports from scouts and grades from scouts, and some of the some of the grades that I get are personal to that scout, and sometimes I get the national reports that they all kind of go off of. On my count, out of their draft picks – Every single one, besides Robinson from Tulsa and Danucci, the quarterback from James Madison, went into the year with a first-round grade. I've never in my life seen that, and I don't think that that's been talked about by the media much because they probably haven't had access to something like this. And aside, I could forward it to you if you want, but that's how strong this draft class was. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I mean, if we just talk about the day two picks on by themselves. I mean, Trevon Diggs was someone who, you know, uh, a lot of mock drafts had him going in the late first round, things like that, even even leading up to the red draft, not just like, you know, as you said, coming in, he definitely had the first round potential, but even up to the day before he was talked about as a late first round pick, they were able to get him at 51. And the interesting thing that Stephen Jones said, which, uh, you know, uh, given the resources you have, I guess this wouldn't be a surprise to you, but... What he told us the night after uh, that, when we talked to them on the conference call, was that the Cowboys strongly considered taking Neville Gallimore at 51 instead of Diggs. Um, he was right there in the same conversation. Uh, the only reason the Cowboys went with Diggs is because they they deemed the defensive tackle class to be a little deeper. But 
really they had Gallimore right there along with Diggs at 51, but then they're able to get Gallimore 31 picks later at 82. I mean, it was just an absolute steal of a draft. The only the only gripe I would say I had with them is I would have liked them liked to see them um, trade up a little bit from the third round pick and take Zach Bond, who I was very high on. Uh, I know he had the diluted sample and things like that, but really thought he went at 74. Thought he would, he could have been a good pick, but other than that, that you know, it, it, there's not much to complain about. Yeah, and we'll be talking to him about him, Gino, in a few minutes because uh, he went, ended up going to the Saints. Uh, you know, Gino and I have been talking about how efficient the overall draft process was, even though it was done on a virtual basis. Quick thoughts on on that, just kind of stepping out of the Cowboys for a quick second. Yeah, I thought the entire draft was done uh, as well as it could have been, uh, especially given some of the technical glitches we heard about in the in the run in in the you know when they were trying it out earlier in the week so um i think it went as well as 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 you know any of the owners anybody could have dreamed of um i i think i thought it was it's hard to say what kind of effect it might have had on on the trades and stuff like that we didn't see a lot of trades early on in the draft but then as the draft got going you know there was still movement up and down the board there were still some trades happening so um, yeah, I think I, I, I don't think that you could uh, hope for a better draft, and I know that it killed in the ratings as well. So um, you had mentioned um, maybe being a little worried before the draft. There were some interesting rumors uh, about the head honcho, Jerry Jones. He was going to be drafting kind of from, uh, I guess, his yacht or by himself. He didn't really want to be interacting with a lot of other people throughout the draft. Who knows with, with some of that. But, you know, I think there were some some Dallas fans that were, I guess, a little bit concerned because, like you said, sometimes they're in a reach mode. This year, they just it, it seemed like there was value, 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 value all the way down. It, are there any holes that you you wish that maybe they they weren't able to hit because they went value? Not that that's a negative, but maybe instead of filling a need, they went value in a certain spot. What are they missing right now? <laughs> well. So a couple of things I want to hit on. First of all, that, that the thing that you were talking about about you know Jerry being <laughs> wanting to be alone or stuff that that was actually I, I that that came from a tweet from Matt Mosley who I've worked with on multiple occasions at the Dallas Morning News and uh, and uh, at ESPN Radio and it was actually a sarcastic tweet that just got That's picked hilarious. up by a bunch That's of outlets great. and so that is so great it, it was never <laughs> it was never a legitimate concern from anybody it was a sarcastic tweet he's known that to put those great. out every now and then uh, but, but no going to your point about you know where did if they didn't address something look they for whatever reason this has been they they absolutely refuse to do anything at the safety position um they haven't done this in a long time, this is why everyone was clamoring for Earl Thomas a few years ago. Why the Jamal Adams, uh, uh, you know, trade talk has been going around here for the last year and a half, two years, whatever it's been. Um, the Cowboys just absolutely refuse to do anything at safety, and I know they signed Ha Clinton Dix. That's hardly an upgrade over what they lost in Jeff Heath and things like that. So I think that is one position. Now I do think by drafting Trayvon Diggs, they might have addressed the safety position. And what I mean by that is if Trevon Diggs and Reggie Robinson, if those two guys can can really speed up their maturation process and be corners ready to play right now, you could see Cheeto Awuzie, a corner right now, switch over to safety 
that's a that's a real possibility for the Cowboys. But of course, that'll be a residual impact of if Trayvon Diggs and Reggie Robinson are ready to go. Obviously, big expectations for C.D. Lamb, and I look at this board here. Obviously, Jerry Jones has ties to the uh, kind of the, the the Southwest, or I guess he'd classify just kind of the Oklahoma Alabama region. First four picks, Oklahoma, Alabama, Oklahoma, Tulsa, uh, strong affinity there. But we, we know beyond that, every single year you have a first rounder, you know, the teams are super excited about who they're bringing in. But when you give them number 88, tell us what that means. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you, when you can get a guy like C.D. Lamb, it's just, uh, you know, it, it's a guy that, that's going to be a difference maker. And, 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 you know, that's not always easy to find at number 17. Sometimes, depending on the draft class, those are guys that only go in the top five or ten. C.D. Lamb is a guy that, you know, within a year or two could end up being the best wide receiver, uh, the best wide receiver in, uh, in, in on the Cowboys. So that, that'll be really interesting to see how that develops. I also think that, you know, Michael Gallup for the Cowboys is going to be the left outside receiver almost all the time. But then Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb have position flexibility. And so um, that's why, you know, that's another value that he has. And one other thing that the Joneses sold to us, in the conference calls right after, they kind of said, you know, um, everyone's caught up in what he brings as a receiver. Don't forget, he also has special teams, uh, special teams value. He's a great punt returner and things like that. So um, C.D. Lamb is just, a, is just a complete package. I'm honestly shocked that he was there at 17. I've been on the chase on train all along, but um, I never really anticipated C.D. Lamb being there at 17. So um, I j- just you can't say enough about that pick. Yeah, well, he'll be he'll be in elite company wearing that that vaunted number eighty eight. Michael Irvin, Drew Pearson, and now C. D. Lamb. Before we let you go, let me ask you about the uh, Dak Prescott off season. Any uh, any new information, contractually speaking? No, not that not that we've heard of. Every, everything's kind of stayed the same. I mean, there was the whole draft process, so that was that took up a lot of time, and obviously there was the uh, tragic passing of his brother. I don't know. You know how how much that has anything to do with negotiations. If they kind of hit pause, or if that was just going on with his agent, anyways. But um, but you know nothing nothing new on that front. Still waiting on that franchise tag deadline to hit, and and that'll be in a couple of months here. So uh, we'll see where that goes. But um, you know with the virtual off season, it's it's is you know I, I don't think he's missing out on on a ton because Kellen Moore is still in place, but. Uh, and it's not like he's getting reps with C.D. Lamb on the field anyway. So I think it'll be interesting to see, but nothing new on that front yet. One last non-football question or comment. The last time we had you on, Saad, we had talked about the new stadium for the Texas Rangers opening up, and we dug into the schedule and looked at the date, and I think they were supposed to play the Angels, if I remember correctly. Uh, Is there any conversation about that stadium now being used as a potential regional center for, for baseball. I know there was talk earlier in the week about the possibility of teams being able to play in their home stadiums at some point, but could that be used as kind of like the, you know, uh, stadiums in LA, Texas and Florida to kind of get things going Any any news that you've heard on that note? Yeah, we, we did hear that, the, that Globe Life Field, the new stadium wasn't 
consideration for for kind of a regional uh, regional hold where a few teams can play and stuff. But I think you know there's a few things to consider there, and, and the most important thing is just what the situation is like in the city. Uh, and, and and as of yesterday, uh, yesterday was the highest reported COVID nineteen cases in Dallas, and so. You know, if if it's things like that keep developing and the cases keep rising, you have to just think that you know the the possibility of of attracting more athletes and more people to that city will uh, just diminish. I think you know that's the number one thing is which areas, which places have the lowest risk. And and right now, uh, literally as of yesterday, Dallas had the most uh, the most cases, the most new cases since uh, this whole thing began. So. Yeah, it's been in discussion, but uh, one of the main things was um, the state of the city, and right now the state of the city in Dallas uh, is not trending the right direction. Oh, that's too bad to hear. And Globe Life is is that, uh, you know, kind of like Arlington is a bit of ways uh, right. outside of yeah, Dallas proper. Where, where's Globe Life in consideration of uh, Dallas? Uh, I would say it's about 20 miles uh, twenty miles away from, uh, 20, uh, less than 20 miles away from Dallas, so um, but it's right there in the Metroplex. So, uh, you know, if there's a lot of teams, uh, they, they all have to. I mean, uh, to be honest with you, uh, the NHL is also considered Dallas for one of those central regions for the Dallas Stars as well. Uh, but it's all contingent on, on the way that things go here with the, with the cases. Well, I hope that things kind of subside and maybe that was a kind of a, a unfortunate, fluky a day or two period, and uh, things kind of settle back down, man. Best wishes to you and the entire Dallas community, and as always, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Saad. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. That is Saad Yusuf from The Athletic, always delivers the good stuff regarding the Cowboys and everything that comes from Dallas, sporting-wise, all the way down to even the high school level. We'll take our first commercial break. We'll come back, continue on the NFL Draft Talk, and talk a little Saints football. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. For Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Big thanks to Saad on a, a packed show. We have a couple uh, more guests still to come, but he, he's not BSing. If you are making a list or if you're reading anybody's grades and, and post-draft recaps, Dallas is on anyone's top five, probably top three for the best draft because every single round they ha- they got a player that was overvalued. They got a player that was undervalued. They got a player that should have been off the board 10, 15, 20, sometimes even more picks uh, before that. So they just did a hell of a job going, you know what? Best player there by far. I can't believe this one's like. But there were probably some players that they were shocked were on their board that were that were still around when they drafted. I'm telling you, man. Regardless of whether I have players involved in a in a certain year's draft or highly graded players or mid tier players or whatever, I do a lot of analysis just to kind of stay in the game, stay sharp, look at trends, look at just kind of both trends team wise, conference wise. Positionally speaking, you name it. This year was the most I've I've ever done. I got the draft Bible from you. I prepared because there's no other sports going on, and I'm so I was so impressed with him. But 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 going into this season, I'm looking at it right now. Every single one of those guys, outside of the two that I mentioned for the Cowboys, had first round grades going into the season. I have never seen that in my life, Gino. And it makes it nice. And I've been reviewing this stuff for about 15 years, like in detail. And I've never seen that happen. So when you, when, when Gino says undervalued, we're, I'm talking about third and fourth and fifth round players that were taken that had first round capabilities going into this. And season. for some reason, whether it be, you know, like there are some wide receivers that, you know, you have a bad quarterback, your numbers go down, you get injured, boom, then you're going to drop a little bit. If you're not one of those top, top, top tier guys, you're just going to fall because in a draft like this, when it's so deep already, if there's a little bit of a red flag, you'll continue to drop. But it's so nice because, you know, a team like Dallas there and a team like we're going to talk with Nick about too coming up when you, when you're a team that's already pretty good and pretty well built, you have the opportunity to take a couple chances, you know, on some of the players that maybe oh, yeah. were undervalued that dropped when you don't need them right now to step in and to contribute, you know, a whole hell of a lot. So, you mean they they were they did a great job for me. Like they'd be right up on the short list with you know the Ravens, who a lot of people talked about doing really well. I thought the 49ers quietly did really well for what they needed, and they made a trade also that should help solidify their line. I thought they did a great job too. Um, we'll continue to talk about some of the teams we liked and that we didn't like, but uh, I believe we have our next guest on hold. Yeah, and you know one more thing about that is that when you're talking about the Cowboys, they're a team that traditionally has underachieved. They're a team that, typically speaking, has a lot of potential going into a season. And for whatever year, most of the time, they don't meet those expectations. So I think going into this draft, you know, and when they're looking at it, they're like, we have our quarterback. We've got our star running back. We've got good receivers. How can we seal the deal? And in my opinion, you don't seal the deal on it by taking guys with this huge, huge upside but just as big of a downside, you kind of want the safer picks. And I think that the Cowboys accomplished that. And with also getting some guys with some pretty big upside, Pro Bowl upside. 
as far as I'm concerned, if I'm a team GM, I'm looking for starters. If I get starters out of any draft, that's a success. A pro bowler is just a bonus. A Hall of Famer is just, wow, we couldn't have anticipated that, but that's fantastic, and we'll take credit for it, for our great scouting, right? Now, like you're talking about, one team that was already really, really good and looking just to kind of fill some holes is the New Orleans Saints. So let's talk to our next guest, Nick Underhill. He's been on with us numerous times. He is with New Orleans Football. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Nick. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about this draft. It was short and compact, but uh, grades well. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing that you can really knock them for is that they only made four picks in this draft, but I think if you looked at their roster heading into the draft, there really weren't a whole lot of spots where you could really pick out where a rookie would contribute right away. I think uh, third wide receiver is one spot that I think a lot of people kind of keyed in on, which they, they didn't address, and I don't think that's a huge deal. But guard was maybe the only other spot, but they could have just rolled forward with Larry Warford and been totally fine. So I don't think that there was a, a huge need for a ton of bodies. I think that they valued quality over quantity and they used their picks to target the guys they like. And look, since Jeff Ireland got here, if you look at the guys that they've traded up for, the guys that they had to have, most of them have worked out. So if they have the vision for someone like Zach Bond or uh, Troutman or Tommy Stevens and they end up making a move to get them, uh, you know, I think at this point they've kind of earned the benefit of doubt to at least sit back and, and wait and see how some of those things work out. And the logic behind all their picks makes a ton of sense. You know, Zach Bond, uh, he can rush off the edge. He can play linebacker. Linebacker is a spot that they tried to address in free agency by uh, going after Jamie Collins. They offered him $6 million a year. He ended up getting 10 So they were left empty-handed there. But, you know, Bond has a little bit of versatility. And on a team with a lot of depth and a lot of players at a lot of spots, if your rookies maybe aren't playing immediately – one way that they can help you get better is by creating more versatility. And I think, you know, his ability to play Sam, Mike, rush off the edge, I, I think it's going to fit him really well. So, uh, you know, I thought that was a good pick. Uh, Ruiz in the first allows them to, to get Warford out of there. And, you know, he, he follows a trend that they've kind of uh, been after since Max Unger left of getting faster uh, offensive linemen. Eric McCoy ran a 4.89. Uh, Ruiz is a 5.08, which isn't, you know, exactly burning, but it's the seventh fastest time by a center uh, weighing over 305 pounds since 2000. So overall, collectively, their offensive line together uh, is the second fastest in the NFL. And I think getting Warford, you know, possibly out of there, he's a, I think, five, six guy. Like he's one of the three or four slowest offensive linemen in the league. You know, I think uh, if anybody had an idea that was a trend that they were following, maybe the uh, Warford thing would have been a little bit more clear. But overall, I think a, a really good draft for them. Just, you know, short on bodies, but high on quality. Yeah, and also, oh, go ahead, Gito. I was going to say, if you're Taysom Hill right now, you, 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 you got to be a little jealous, right? New Orleans seems like they're, they're, the, they're the one that's got the type. It seems they've got a little bit of a type here with someone like, uh, like Tommy Stevens. So tell us a little bit about Tommy Stevens because he gets compared to someone like Taysom Hill who can kind of line up all over. He's not necessarily just your, your you know, regular drop-back quarterback. Yeah, I, I think their vision for him is quite similar to the things that Taysom's doing right now and. You know, I think the quarterback stuff is way down the list, but his ability to, you know, do special teams, wide receiver, tight end, uh, you know, you can 
possibly block a little bit. He's got good hands. He's shown that. You know, I, I think his ability to do all that stuff possibly gets him a spot on the team, and that might allow him the chance to develop a little bit more quarterback, whereas if, you know, he couldn't do that other stuff, maybe he's, he's you know, not getting drafted, and maybe the, the opportunity isn't quite the same. So, you know, I, I do think that, uh, you know, maybe he'll do some more stuff on special teams. It sounds like maybe Taysom will, will take a step back from some of that stuff this year. So, I mean, that, that'll be interesting to see. And, look, Taysom might need to feel jealous for more than one reason because, you know, James <laughs> Winston's here now too. And it kind of seemed like, you know, all the talk was that, that Taysom was the guy. But I think that's a, a clear indication that, you know, as much as they like him, I don't think anything's written. And, you know, if James cleans up some of the stuff that plagued him a little bit, you know, throughout his career and, you know, a lot last year on the 30 interceptions, you know, you – Outside of those 30 or 40 throws or, you know, whatever it is every year that are just absolutely awful, there are moments where he looks like a really, really good quarterback. And if he can sit for a year and clean some of that stuff up, when Drew uh, steps away to that NBC booth, you know, it'll be interesting to see if it goes straight to taste or if they, they try to go, you know, get a second year with Jameis and, and let those two compete. Yeah, speaking of Jameis, I mean, they got a steal of a deal for him. And uh, it seems like he's taking a very mature approach about this one-year deal. Uh, probably could have got a lot more elsewhere, probably could have had a better chance to be a starter elsewhere. Uh, once again, we're talking to Nick Underhill, New Orleans football, dot football, dot com. Is it dot com? Is this New Orleans dot football, just, I believe? Just dot, just dot football, yeah. Dot football. So on, on your site, you did a really, really interesting uh, study of Winston's 30 interceptions. You went through the, the film on each and every single one. And you kind of found out whether he'd made a mistake, whether there was a receiver mistake, uh, is he having problems with cover three? Talk to us a little bit about some of your findings and what gives the Saints optimism that they could kind of right the ship for Winston and he could go on to have a productive career, hopefully with the Saints or elsewhere beyond the season. Yeah, I mean, there were a handful where there was, you know, really bad coverage or they put him in a bad situation where you just kind of got to take a shot and, and see what happens. So, you know, having a bad defense playing from behind, I, I think played into some of those. But, you know, the biggest issue for me and the thing that, that was most troubling and, you know, frankly, it kind of gets hard to watch when you're watching them all in a row is there's just a lot of plays where he just does not have the awareness he needs. You know, it's middle of the field safety. He just doesn't see him and makes a throw and he gets picked off or, you know, he, he very rarely, well, you know, on these interceptions, a, a recurring theme is, you know, not seeing a linebacker and a zone blitz. And it's just like, you know, is the number one overall pick five years in the league. These little things, you know, that, that that's what you see happen to Sam Darnold during his rookie season. And, you know, he figures it out in year two, it gets better year three, you're good to go. And, you know, I just think some of that stuff hasn't happened for him. And, you know, I don't know why. Is it maybe, maybe he hasn't gotten great coaching I know, you know, a lot of people like Cutter, but, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe he wasn't hard enough on him. I'm, I'm not sure. You know, Bruce Arians, you know, a guy that's having issues with decision-making and seeing the field, I think playing for him is probably not advantageous for someone with those, you know, problems. And if you're pushing the ball down the field and the whole, you know, no risk it, no biscuit thing, and you got a guy that's probably overly aggressive and makes stupid mistakes, you should probably be trying to rein him in a little bit and, you know, be more like Tom Brady and, you know, see the field, make the smart throw, live the fight another down. Hey, Jameis, you're the guy that can lose games for us, you know, so just chill out. And 
I don't think he got that last year, and I think it just magnified everything that was wrong with him. And, you know, I, it, it'll be interesting. I, I think it's, uh, you know, really speaks volumes for him that he has the awareness to know that, hey, if I, maybe if I take a step back and I make garbage money for a year, maybe I can learn from this guy that's, you know, one of the best in the league, one of the best to ever do it and see how they do it, learn from this coach who's one of the best to ever do it, and figure out what's wrong with me, fix it, and I'll take one step back, and maybe that'll help me take two steps forward. So, you know, it sounds like he's doing everything for the right reason. He gave up a ton of money, and I think that speaks louder than, you know, anything he could say. So it seems like his head's in the right place right now, and if it stays there throughout the year, you know, I think it's a chance for him to, you know, go through the, the wash and come out a little bit cleaner. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been a big Jameis Winston fan. I think he's got all the tools, all the capabilities of being a really good NFL quarterback. We know he's productive. Numbers-wise, we, we know that he could throw the ball up and down the field. You pointed out that he was under pressure on 30.5% of his dropbacks. 14 of the picks were under pressure. 13 picks against cover three looks. I have to think between fixing his eyesight, was, which apparently was a big problem, he made... <laughs> The comment, I think, earlier today that he could now finally read freeway signs. And I thought that that was unbelievable. I think for a quarterback, you have to have good eyesight, right? So I'm kind of optimistic about this, uh, you know, reinventing Jameis Winston. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe the thing about LASIK. And he, this, earlier this offseason, when the, the, there was a report that he was getting it, and it was like, oh, yeah, like every time I look at him, it does seem like when he has his helmet off, like they show him on the sidelines, like squinting at the scoreboard or something, like, the last yeah. image of him is like literally with his eyes squinting trying to read something. And yeah, as a quarterback, I just don't know how you do that. Like through all these years, like can you not read somebody's numbers? You do you not know who you're throwing at? Like to get too far down the field, like if you can't see a freeway sign, like do you know if that's Godwin or Mike Evans that you're throwing to? I I don't know. It's just kind of a crazy thing that that could go unchecked for so long. But I agree with you. I, I think he can do everything well. It's just. It, and I like this move more than drafting a Jordan Love or something like that, too. I, you minimize your risk. Um, if you think Taysom has a shot, you aren't overcommitted to anybody. You're not paying him anything. You know, I, I think it has a chance to work out. And like I said, I, I think he's there for a reason. If you're totally sold on Taysom Hill, I don't know if you bring in Jameis and, you know, you, you go through the whole thing. And I, I don't know, you know, I don't want to say he was given assurances or anything because I don't know. But I'm not sure he chooses this situation over, you know, maybe a comparable one that's offering more money or more money plus a greater opportunity. If there isn't something in his head like, okay, if I do this and I fix all this stuff, maybe I'll have a chance to play for this really good team. And, you know, whoever takes over a quarterback, they just got to be competent because that roster around them is going to be so good. And if you think that you have a chance to take over after Breeze, I, I can see it you know, being a situation that's appealing beyond money. So it's kind of interesting. There's not a lot of like talk about the Saints right now. Obviously, with the uh, with the Bucks and and with Brady and Gronk coming in there, they've got some buzz. You know, um, KC is is the, the the reigning champ. So there's a little bit bu- uh, buzz. It, it seems like the Saints are flying under the radar a little bit. What's what's kind of like the the vibe from the fan base? What's kind of the feel around the organization right now? Yeah, I think they're they're really confident and. Yeah, I, I think that there's a, a belief that they have one of the more talented rosters in the NFL. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of people that kind of feel like the window is still, you know, wide open. And I don't really see why there's any reason to disagree with that. I think they've gotten mm-hmm. better. Um, bringing Emmanuel Sanders, I, I think, is going to pay off and be a huge move for them. And I mentioned wide receiver three earlier. 
you know, honestly, with Mike Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, Jared Cook, Kamara, Taysom doing the stuff he does on offense, like there just probably isn't a whole lot of targets for wide receiver three. So if you move Traquan Smith down there, who I would say has been, you know, a considerable disappointment for a third-round pick, but is the third guy, if he can rack up, I don't know, 500, 600 yards, and, you know, you minimize his responsibilities, and now he's just the deep threat or the guy digging out his safety and you aren't really relying on him, you know, I think he can probably do pretty well in that role. Um, You know, I think getting uh, Ruiz on the offensive line, their screen game is going to probably get a lot better. So I think the offense is going to be really good, and I think they got all the guys on defense too. I mean, your number two corner is Janoris Jenkins, which is an enviable situation, I think, for most teams. Uh, you know, it's just on that side of the ball, it's a little bit of, uh, you know, some of the health concerns. Davenport, the defensive end, you know, he needs to stay healthy. I don't know how much they're going to rely on Alonzo, but he's coming off the second uh, torn ACL. The defensive tackle, Sheldon Rankins, just had Achilles surgery on his other leg, so that's two in two years, one on each leg. So I think those are the, the, the concerns, is some of that health stuff, but you know, if, you know, three out of five things on their worry list break their way, I, I don't see why they can't, you know, be right in the mix at the end of the season. And one last question for you, Nick. Troutman is a guy that cost the Saints a lot of draft capital. He is a player, when I'm looking at my scouting reports, he actually had the highest grade going into this college football season of any of their draft picks. He appears to be a pretty complete tight end, good route runner, good, uh, you know, after the catch, good blocker. Uh, Saints obviously really, really liked him in order to move up to the 105 spot. What are you hearing? Yeah, so I just finally, since the draft ended, I've been trying to find copies of uh, Dayton football games, which, believe it or well, yeah, it's probably pretty believable. They're really hard to find because sure. they're, just, yep. <laughs> they're just not out there like that, you know. Um, so I finally started watching them today, and it's almost comical because he's just so much bigger, faster, stronger than everybody he's playing against. It almost well, looks like stands out, huh? if you, yeah, like if you were to go out in your driveway, like with a seven-year-old kid playing basketball, and like you're just <laughs> going as hard as you possibly can. Like it's some of the games like look that dominant. So, yeah, you know, I I'm hoping I can find some stuff from the Senior Bowl to see what he looks like against you know some better players. But yeah, obviously they they like him a lot. I think they. They think he can do just about everything. You know, the pass catching is really good. I think the blocking, you know, he's willing, at least from what I can see. It looks like he's willing and, you know, he'll get in there and he's got the right mentality. I just think there's a lot of stuff probably, you know, and I would say it probably goes back to quality of coaching where, you know, it's just you can see a lot of ways he can get better and probably really quick. And he's a smart guy. He said he had offers from Harvard and I believe Cornell, so – you know, I think if he gets better coaching, he probably has the right mentality to, to take to it pretty quickly. So I, I think he's going to get better really fast, but I think he's really good right now. And that's a spot, you know, one of the few where, you know, you can see a path to, to getting better. I think Josh Hill's done a pretty good job for them, and they love him. But, you know, he's had quite a few injuries, a bunch of concussions. You know, getting somebody in that can supplant him in time, if not right away, is probably a really good move for him. And believe it or not, trading all their day three picks to get them, they actually came out ahead on the uh, the uh, the trade calculator chart. So those uh, picks on day three apparently don't have very much value. I couldn't believe it. They <laughs> gave up, like, I think three to get them, three or four to get them. I think it was and, four, yeah. You know, 
Yeah, they came out. I think it was like 85 points they acquired, and they gave up 78 or something like that. So uh, for a team that, you know, doesn't have a ton of spots, and you go back two years, they drafted the Charles Jamerson, uh, Cameron Moore, and there was somebody else, and they, they ended up having to cut all these guys and end up getting claimed by other teams. And it's just like, you know, what's the value in that if you don't have the roster spots? And if you see somebody that, that can come in, win a job, have a role, like why not just, you know, trade in all those lottery tickets and, and take the, the, you know, the payout now instead of overtime? Good stuff, Nick. We're up against it commercial-wise, and we're also going to be talking to a division rival of the Saints in uh, Greg Allman, who covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for The Athletic. Nick Underhill, always love having you. That's NewOrleans.football. If you're a Saints fan, he's a must-check-out writer. Thanks again, Nick. Yep, thanks for having me, guys. Stay with us, everyone. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll keep talking NFL draft, talking some Bucks football. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. So, uh, Mike, we're going to go from one division rival to the other. It's going to be from the Saints to the Bucks. Why don't you welcome in our final guest for today? Yeah, we've had uh, Greg Allman on the show with us uh, many times. Always love having him from The Athletic. covers all things Tampa, both Buccaneers, Rays, and uh, I guess other uh, hockey as well. Uh, Pretty much, like I said, all things Tampa. Greg, good afternoon. How are you? Hey, Greg. Doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having me on. So let's get right to it. Rapid fire here. The Bucks obviously had something in mind going into this draft, which was to protect Tom Brady. And they made sure to get the guy that, that they wanted, made a trade with the 49ers. Walk us kind of through that progression and how they ended up uh, with, with, with the big guy that's uh, going to protect 
Brady's blind side? Yeah, I think everybody knew their their main glaring need, their top priority in the draft was was finding a starting right tackle, kind of getting an upgrade to that part of the offensive line. And I think, uh, you know, the tricky spot they were in is, is sitting at 14. There are a lot of mock drafts where the top four tackles were off the board um, by 10 or 11. So my big question is just whether they thought they needed to trade up or not, like whether they would just kind of take whatever the, the draft gods let fall to them at 14 or whether they'd be more active and move up. Um, and at, at some point, I mean, it, it, you know, there were, the people that were embedded with the, the Bucks certainly they were trying to make moves to get up to, to 9 or to 10, um, make a more aggressive move up. And it ended up where all they had to do was move up one spot. So I thought it was really smart of them, just from a proactive standpoint, um, to move up one spot from 14 to 13, kind of keep themselves from getting sniped at the last minute. Uh, and they're really excited about Tristan Wirfs. Um, Iowa obviously has a great history with putting linemen into the NFL. Um, you know, only had three years there, so I think there's still a lot of upside and development to him. Uh, I think everybody saw at the Combine in Indy what an athlete he is. Um, to be 320 pounds and running the 40 and 4.85 seconds is, is really strong. So I think um, they're very pleased with that, and he should be a guy that um, should be able to step right in and, and step in at right tackle for him. Yeah, I mean, the book on him is a freak athleticism, uh, you know, high ceiling in the NFL. He's going to have to get a little work, work on his technique. Is that kind of what you're uh, seeing on film? Yeah, I mean, the athleticism is there. They, they, the, the video that went viral the night of the draft is him – you know, up to his neck in the water on the side of the pool and, and just straight jumping, no arms, jumping out of the water and landing on, on the side of the pool, uh, which wow. not many guys can do, let alone 320 pounds. Um, he just posted a video today playing basketball in his downtime. And, you know, again, 6'6", 320 pounds, and he's throwing the ball up in the air and, and alley-ooping to himself for dunks and stuff. So, yeah, the athleticism is definitely there. Um, and from a technique standpoint, I think it's one of those where, you know, I think so many of the best linemen that come from Iowa have been, um, you know, guys that were there five years that redshirted, had time to really progress in college, and and he didn't have that as much. I mean, he was the first true freshman to start a tackle for Iowa. You know, since Kirk Ferentz has been there, um, so maybe a little ahead of the curve that way. So there's a little bit of development, but not so much that they can't expect him to be able to come in and play right away. Uh, let's talk about the their their picks in rounds two and three. Um, they mm-hmm. get Wingfield, the safety from Minnesota, who. This felt like a really good pick. He has a little bit of injury history, but he's really fast. He has good instincts. And then let's talk about the the third round pick also with with Vaughn and what that says for uh, Ronald Jones and maybe how they plan on seeing the backfield this year. Yeah, safety was a position I really wasn't sure on, just how much they felt like they needed to upgrade. It's really a a key position in Todd Bowles' defense. Um, You go back to, you know, New York, he had Jamal Adams there. And I think they really like having... Uh, versatile pieces they can use in different ways. Um, if they want to play a big nickel, if they want to have somebody they can put on a tight end, somebody they can put on a slot receiver. Um, Antoine Winfield is definitely that guy. Um, you know, had seven interceptions this past year, so certainly a ball hawk. Um, uh, I saw the Outback Bowl in person in January, went and covered that, and um, big game for Minnesota. Obviously, the Bucks liked it because they drafted two Gophers out of there. But yeah, Antoine Winfield. You know, this is the fourth straight year they've put a relatively high pick into safeties. Um, so there's a little bit of overriding there, but I think he can step in. And if everything goes right, I think he'll be a starter for them. I think he's somebody they can use a lot of different ways. Um, you mentioned third round, they went running back. Um, you know, there'd been some talk that they could use a second round pick on a running back. J.K. Dobbins was still there when they picked Winfield and they passed on him, um, hit the defense and then came back in the third round. 
uh, with Keyshawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt, a um, guy that started his career at Illinois and then transferred after two years. Uh, lots of big play potential there. Had uh, eight touchdowns in the last two years of 60 yards or longer. Just lots of big plays. Um, gives them a, a versatility and a compliment to Ronald Jones at running back. You know, Bruce Arians has talked so much about wanting pass-catching backs. It's something that obviously Tom Brady has been used to. Is, is just a ton of throws to his running backs. Um, that hasn't necessarily been a strength for Keyshawn Vaughn, but, I mean, to, to listen to the coaches there, it's something they probably should have done more. Um, his numbers as a junior were probably much better than as a senior. Um, average 7.9 yards a carry in the SEC as a junior. Um, I think after Shermer left, I think the offensive line took a hit. I think defenses were able to kind of collapse a lot more on him this past year, so his numbers dropped. Still got 1,000 yards, but was closer to, I think, 5.2 yards a carry. Um, but, no, they like him a lot. He doesn't have to be a primary back and kind of step into that role that Peyton Barber had last year, uh, sharing the role. And, um, like I said, they're, they're thrilled with that. That was the first three picks, and, and then they were off until the fifth round after that. Yeah, it looks like uh, the, the the Bucks dropped off all their scouts in the Midwest and, and loaded up on guys from that region, Iowa, a couple from Minnesota, as you'd mentioned, Nebraska. First, what is first your overall? Picks. Yeah, first five picks. Yeah, <laughs> all Midwest. What, what would uh, uh, what's your overall draft grade, top to bottom? How do you grade this out? Well, you know, I'm not a big draft guy. I mean, I felt like they really hit their needs. I mean, those were yeah. three things we felt like they really had to address. The only thing they really didn't hit is probably outside linebacker. Um, they lost Carl Nassib to the Raiders and, and haven't really replaced him yet. I think that's something they still could do here. There's a couple free agents that are still left. Um, they've got a fourth-rounder from last year, a kid named Anthony Nelson from Iowa that they're very high on. But I think they need somebody that's that's kind of NFL-proven that can be there. I mean, they, they're going to play Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul 80% of the time on on defense. I think those guys are still going to log a lot of plays, but I think it does definitely help them to be insulated against injury to where if either of those guys go down, they have somebody that they feel comfortable that can step in and, and still get to the quarterback at a high level. So... Outside linebacker probably is the one position I'd say they, they didn't address. But everything else, even the late-round picks, are, are really upside guys. Tyler Johnson from Minnesota, their fifth-round pick. Um, I watched him. He had 204 yards and two touchdowns in the Outback Bowl. Just had a great game. I, I had thought he'd be a, a fourth-round, maybe even a late third-round pick. Um, so I think they were really happy to be able to get him in the fifth round. Again, just lots of um, guys that I didn't think would be where they got picked. Sixth round, they got Khalil Davis, a defensive tackle from Nebraska. Um, led Nebraska with eight sacks this past year. Another guy that's just off the chart measurables, um, 309 pounds and ran a 4.75, so even faster than Werfs. Um, had a, I forget what his vertical leap is, but just off the charts. His, his reps, I think he was one off the combine high for all defensive linemen in, in bench in the 225 with the bench press. Um, and then even their seventh rounders are intriguing. I mean, seventh rounders are very much a crapshoot. You don't really have any expectations of them making the team. Um, but they got a linebacker from Temple, uh, a guy who's pushed through two ACLs, has really been through a lot. But they've had some luck with, with linebackers coming off injuries in past years, so they like that. And then their last pick um, is a running back from Louisiana, a kid named Raymond Calais, um, who, again, is just a speed guy, uh, a big play guy, had three touchdown runs of 80 yards or more in college, also a kickoff return guy. So there's definitely, I mean, I doubt every single draft pick is going to make this team, but they've got a lot of guys that can help them and, and fill, some, you know, fill some key roles on depth as well. So we only have about two or three minutes before we're, uh, we're done here. Um, just wanted to ask, uh, what do you think about, where did you stand on Jameis? We saw that Jameis signed a, a very cheap deal to go yeah. be a backup now for, for the Saints. Where have you kind of stood on him, and, then, and what do you think about him moving forward? Um, I, I was a bit surprised. Um, I 
still don't fully understand why he would choose New Orleans unless he just didn't have a lot of other offers out there. Um, remarkably inexpensive. He's playing for five cents on the dollar compared to what he made last year. He made $21 million last year. His base salary is $1.1 million. I think he's the 52nd highest paid quarterback in the league. Um, he's talked a lot about how much it means to him to be with Drew Brees, to have a year under Sean Payton, to learn from their offensive brain trust, not just Payton, but also uh, Carmichael and Lombardi and everybody else they'll have there. Uh, but it's just not necessarily a situation that even lends itself towards a long-term future there. I mean, they just this week committed a $16 million guaranteed to Taysom Hill. I mean, they had Taysom for one year and $4 million and advance that to two years and $21 million. And I don't think you do that unless you have eyes on him possibly being the guy moving forward. So Jameis is already behind that. Drew Brees, if he does retire, carries a $22 million cap hit next year. So they're just they're spending a lot of money on two other guys that aren't Jameis Winston, the quarterback already. Uh, but like I said, if, if his priority was simply being in a place where he can learn from some of the best um, you know, Peyton and Breeze have obviously had amazing, consistent success, dominated that division for the last three years. Um, but there's definitely a, there's definitely a window where uh, Jameis, if Breeze doesn't get hurt, Jameis doesn't really play. And then a year from now, he's kind of in that weird Bortles zone where, you know, Bortles went to Los Angeles and didn't play at all behind golf. And people forgot he went there. I mean, he's completely unsigned right yeah. now, coming off of a one year, $1 million contract. So uh, I hope things go well for Jameis. If, if the Bridgewater path holds up, if Bruce Breeze gets hurt and Jameis gets five games to show what he can do and goes 5-0 and in those games, he's going to be in line for a great contract. But I think there's also that window where Breeze doesn't get hurt and he spends the whole year on the bench there. Good stuff, Greg. Appreciate you taking a little bit of time and spending it with us, breaking down the Tampa Bay Buccaneers draft. As always, appreciate it. Check Greg out on The Athletic if Thanks, you Greg. are an NFL fan or a fan of Tampa sports. Thanks, Greg. Thanks again, guys. Have a good one. See ya. You too. Good stuff, man. I think the uh, I think the, overall the Bucks did well. I think the common theme, Gino, is that most teams feel that they got some good value uh, it's a deep within draft. the draft. It so is a deep the draft. Key was, the key was if you didn't reach in spots, you probably felt good about your draft, right? As long as you're just not going like way, way over to to get someone, and, and you and you got someone who was close to where you had them on your board, or maybe they were higher, like lower than you had, you, you got to feel good about it. Yeah, I think everybody's got to feel good unless uh, unless you're you're Green Bay and have a really pissed off Aaron Rodgers. Okay, real quick, fifty seconds. We only have 20, thirty seconds before we go. Raiders, give me like, what do you think as a Raider fan? How do you feel? Because a lot of people were negative on them. I was very surprised to hear that people were negative about them. I think they actually did really well. They got a lot of team speed, which is always the Raiders' way. Rugs, I like a lot. Yeah, I know that that corner they could could have got him later on, maybe even in the second round. I like uh, Bowden from Kentucky, the running back. Uh, Brian Edwards from South Carolina, I think is really solid. I think overall, you're going to look back and say, you know what? They did pretty freaking well. That's my take on it. And we'll spend maybe a little bit more time talking about it next week, yep. you know? Awesome. As always, thank you for listening, everyone. We think we're going to get back into the sports groove pretty soon. Stay with us. We'll keep you filled in. Have a tremendous weekend, everyone. See you same time, same place next week. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.